0: Uh, once you arrived at the plant, and, I, and most of I worked afternoon shift, um, your job foreman would give you, which was Leo Simon, was my foreman, which, by the way, he passed away with brain cancer. Um, uh, he would give you the work orders for whatever needed to be repaired. We had over 600 pieces of equipment that we repaired the plant. And the equipment was out In the hot buildings, like 26 and 30 and 33 buildings, and the equipment was around exposure to the uranium and everything, and uh, but we would just bring it in and repair it, and uh, without realizing at the time that that equipment was contaminated, was hot.
1: Everybody knows, and this is especially true for blue-collar workers. Everybody knows somebody, and it could be their father, their mother, their sister, brother, their uncle, or their coworker or their friend who has developed lung cancer and who has died from lung cancer. And so when you offer people the opportunity for uh, early detection of that cancer and a surgical cure for that cancer, they are interested. The challenge is getting the word out to them.
2: Hello and welcome to this podcast of the American Journal of Public Health for the month of October 2018. You just heard Fred Carpenter. He's a former worker of a nuclear weapon plant in Ohio. And then Dr. Stephen Markowitz, director of the Worker Health Protection Program at Queen's College, City University of New York. In this podcast, we will discuss lung cancer screening, Lung cancer is associated with smoking and lung cancer is known for its poor survival. Typically, one year when it is discovered because it is symptomatic or because it is visible on a chest radiogram. Some years ago, it was found that a CAT scan delivering a low dose of radiation could identify very small cancers in the lung of heavy smokers. These cancers can be removed surgically and lead to final cure. A large randomized control trial showed that low-dose CAT scan saved lives. It is currently recommended that specific categories of heavy smokers be screened for lung cancer using this low-dose CAT scan. However, Some occupational exposures also cause lung cancer. Asbestos and radiations, for example. These exposures may be rare in the population at large, but very common in some industries. Markowitz and colleagues show in this issue of AJPH that these workers, such as nuclear plant workers exposed to radiation, can benefit from being screened. The question now is, how can we translate this knowledge into effective national screening programs? I am Alfredo Morabia, the Editor-in-Chief of AJPH, and we are September 10th, 2018. We will first listen to Dr. Stephen Markowitz, who will describe the results of the Worker Health Protection Program. We will then get the personal account of Fred Carpenter, a participant of the program who screened positive for lung cancer. We finally will discuss with Dr. David Weissman, Director of the Respiratory Health Division at NIOSH, of what it would take to make the screening available to all the workers who can benefit from it.
1: you know, we had started a general medical screening program for occupational exposures among nuclear weapons workers uh, in the late 1990s. Uh, These were workers who built our nuclear bombs over the decades. And we were looking at uh, general conditions like chronic lung disease, hearing loss, uh, beryllium sensitivity. Uh, But we were also concerned that people had been exposed to uh, carcinogens, including lung carcinogens. And so we were primed when, uh, in nineteen, excuse me, in the year two thousand, Dr. Henschke, uh, then at Cornell, published a big study in Lancet that showed that you could detect uh, lung cancers uh, through the use of low-dose CT at an early stage when it was curable. And so, as soon as we read that, actually in the year two thousand, we realized that this technique should be applied to workers in particular uh, in our group, to nuclear weapons workers who were at increased risk for lung cancer due to uh, their exposure to lung carcinogens in the workplace, like asbestos, like silica, like beryllium, like nickel, but also who had smoked uh, at high rates, and so they were at double risk from lung cancer. So we started up uh, lung cancer screening in this group. Occupational lung cancer is the number one cancer among workers. It's the number one cancer in the US population in general, but in particular among blue collar workers, it's the most important of all the occupational cancers, and it accounts for over half of all the occupational cancers that occur. So we knew that in general, and we certainly knew that among these nuclear weapons workers. Can you
2: summarize a little bit the main finding of your study that we published this month?
1: Sure. So we uh, screened over 7,000 nuclear weapons workers with low-dose CT. And in many of them, we repeated that scan a year later. And we found close to 1% of them, or about 80, had lung cancers that we detected by low-dose CT. And 60% of those lung cancers we detected were stage 1, the earliest stage. And another 10% or so were stage 2, also early stage. So together, that's about two-thirds or more had early-stage lung cancer. Most of them underwent surgery and would presumably be cured of their lung cancer as a result of that surgery.
2: So, some workers are at high risk of lung cancer for two different reasons, smoking and and specific occupational exposures. Low-dose CAT scan screening can identify cancers that are small enough to be removed surgically. I flew to Columbus, Ohio, and drove to South Bloomingville to meet Fred Carpenter, a former worker of the nuclear weapon industry. I met him in his house in the hills about 50 miles south of Columbus, a beautiful rural area, perfumed by the scents of fields and summer flowers.
0: This is a nice part of the state. We've got within ten miles of here. We've got five state parks, mm-hmm. uh, a state lake up here, Rose Lake, and just it was just a good place to raise the children. That's why I would never relocate. And it's just like I say, we're we're kind of home people.
2: You, you didn't tell me about your children. How many did you well, have? I have three. Three?
0: Yeah, and, and uh, my son lives across the road. He helps us. And then I have a daughter in uh, Circleville and a son in Chillicothe. So, and they're all doing really good. Perfect. So Great. When you're there a while, you realize it. But you're in Southern Ohio. There are no other jobs. It's that simple.
2: There were no other jobs than the plant in... Uh,
0: no other jobs that paid wages, that paid scale. Mm-hmm. You know, every place is shut down. The portsmouths are shut down. A lot of people was there from portsmouths. The factories had shut down portsmouths. Mm-hmm. The railroads had moved out. and The steel mill moved out. Mm-hmm. You know.
2: Yeah. So people like you who were going into these plants, they knew it was dangerous in some ways.
0: Well, sure, you know. Mm-hmm. So...
2: And did you feel sick sometimes when you got home or in the evening? I mean...
0: No, not really. During those years. Because, didn't... no, it's slow, you know. No, you felt okay. So,
2: And how did you decide to move to the post office then?
0: Uh, have you ever been in a... You've never been in a plant, have you, like that?
2: I, I've been in many plants, but not uh, atomic oh. uranium uh refinement
0: plant. It's out of this world. It's space. Mm -hmm. The first time I seen the Cascades, I went up in that building, seen them Cascades, I thought I was in outer space. Everything is repetitive as far as the eye can see. And each one of them has to be changed out because they get caked up. The product cannot flow through the pipes. So they changed the motors and they upgraded the motors to... uh, from five thousand horse to seven and a half. they're as big as this house, and and uh, so when they break in pipes, everything's not exactly evacuated, so it would puff in the air, you know. Then it's on the floor, it's in the systems, and yeah, it's not. It was nasty. There's,
2: there was asbestos too in those pipes. Well, of course,
0: no, it's a product. Mm-hmm. It's uranium. Of course, it was around asbestos a lot, I worked in a garage. Mm-hmm. Your brake shoes are asbestos, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, the brake bands on the cranes and the bulldozers and the clutches and all that stuff's asbestos. Come on! <laughs> you know, so, yeah, it's all asbestos. Or you repaired a radiator, had a radiator tank all sides of this table, and anyway, so the radiator's leaking, so you take it out of the equipment. You solder it with lead solder at that time, put it in the tank, you know, and pressure test it for leaks and lift it back up. Said, but there was no ventilation or nothing, you know. So you're breathing all that. And,
2: and no protection. You didn't wear any. Protection. Well,
0: we could have paper shoots. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it.
2: <sighs> so, White paper.
0: Well, they told us when we had the meeting, they brought in paper after everything was showing up hot. That the paper would protect you from the uh, radiation because it cannot penetrate paper? Really? Hmm. <laughs> well, what about her breathing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What about her hands? Mm-hmm. So, you know.
2: So, how old are you now, Fred? 73. 73. Yeah. And how do you feel?
0: Terrible. <laughs> but I laugh about it. I mean, I says even about it. <laughs> you know, so.
2: You, you
0: don't look like someone who feels terrible. Well, I know. I, it's, it's it's the way it is. Okay. They contacted every employee, to my knowledge, and and uh, I was one of them. Went down, took took advantage of it, and I have every time that they've called me. Which, it's in a cl- kind of like a clinic place.
2: It's a clinic. Yeah,
0: yeah, kind of like a clinic place. Uh, actually, it's kind of like a workman's comp or. A, yeah, something like that. It wasn't the first one was at the Mercy Hospital. Then this one here was later was uh, kind of in a clinic place.
2: So, so the first one in two thousand was at Mercy Hospital, or?
0: Well, it was at their outpatient place. Their outpatient. Yeah.
2: And so, so you went. You did. How was it to take a CAT scan?
0: Well, the CAT scan at uh, how, at the Union we Hall was doing. excellent. It was nice people. They go in there. And they know you. I mean, they call you by name. They know you. You take a CAT scan.
2: But is it like having an X-ray, having a CAT scan?
0: Oh, it's better. Describe you, you it. Because you trust it better. Describe it. you, know, you it. lay you lay down. They shoot you through the tube, and and uh, and uh, the girl was the well, the woman that works it was really nice, and she said, now now we'll be contacting you later with the results. And they mail you the results, which they, actually they called me on that one, and and, uh, and uh, oh, it was really a good experience. Every time I went, it's been a good experience.
2: So, what did the letter say when when they after they examined you? What did the letter say?
0: Oh, it, it said that they had showed up nodulars or showed up some abnormalities, and it uh, gave the the measurements on, on the nodular sizes and stuff, and I should consult my doctor.
2: So they confirmed.
0: Yeah, they confirmed it. Yes, absolutely. And and then... Uh,
2: Were you panicked?
0: Nah, I don't think so. Tell me <laughs> yeah. the
2: truth. I mean, if someone tells you you have cancer...
0: Well, you worry about it. Yeah. But it's in the early stages. It wasn't late, and it wasn't a large amount. So, anyway, the surgeon up there, I met, I met a really good surgeon, and uh, he does a lot. Of My wife and I met with him Come well, on, you can come in, hon. And, uh, huh? Do you need water? Well, it was fine. And, and, uh, he looked at that and he said, well, he said, I'll, uh, uh cut, out, cut it out and throw it away. And he said, you'll be fine. I asked Fred why he thought other
2: workers at his plant did not join the workers' health program. Of course, the workers'
0: health program is really... You know, if I would call them today and ask them a specific question, they would have me something in two or three days. They're really good. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I don't know why the rest of the people, the ones that don't, at least don't work through them, you know, ask them for help.
2: But why? Well, you don't
0: know why. I, I don't but, know but, why. But uh,
2: is there a way they could be convinced that... Uh
0: I guess the only way would be through a mailing and, and say we've been successful with these people here why don't you join them or something like that
2: yeah
0: or call or, or in most cases you'd be contacting their widows yeah.
2: In this third chapter of the podcast, we will discuss the availability and access of workers to lung cancer screening from the health professional's perspective. I interviewed David Weissman from the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. He told me not everyone agrees that uh, low-dose uh, CT uh, scanning is warranted. So who- what are the arguments? Obviously, the benefit
3: of, of screening is the ability to improve the outcome if there is lung cancer. Uh, the survival on lung cancer is related to stage, and the lower the stage, the earlier you catch the disease, the more likely there is to be a really uh, to be a good outcome and 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 the ability to you know uh, cure the disease surgically. Uh, and the more advanced it is the, the worse the outcome becomes. and, and it becomes much worse if, if the disease begins to spread. So that's the benefit. Uh, the, the risk is uh, that uh, you have to in, you have to screen lots and lots of people to have benefit. And many people uh, have nodules in their lungs when they have CT scans uh, that require follow-up. And in the uh, national lung, screening uh, uh, trial, which was the big study that was done uh, to evaluate uh, CT lung cancer screening. Uh, about one in 20 of the people who had nodules uh, turned out to have uh, actually have uh, lung cancer. Uh, and the, the concern there was many of the people may have had additional CT scans and additional radiation uh, or had invasive procedures like you know, like biopsies uh, or surgeries you know and and uh, and you know there are risks to those things and you hate to subject people to those risks if they turn out not to have cancer in order to optimize the balance between a benefit and risk it's important to identify people where the benefits outweigh those risks and sometimes that's not clear uh and the current recommendations are uh to have a detailed discussion with the patient uh, about the potential benefits and the potential hazards and involve them in making the decision about screening.
2: For workers to be aware of the existence of, of uh, the possibility to be screened, uh, there must be some programs. They may uh, must be informed. They must know that they have access to it. I mean, is NIOSH going to do something so that people can go to their physician and ask uh, whether they could have such screening?
3: well, We don't have a program like that in place at this point, but certainly uh, making people more aware of the accessibility and the pluses and minuses of lung cancer screening is something that's really important. And yet it's even important for people that are the ones who are in the mainstream recommendations uh for screening for uh heavy smoking alone you know currently uh, the reimbursement recommendations are that people who have smoked uh, more than 30 pack years uh and have quit less than 15 years ago uh and several other you know criteria uh are are should be offered lung cancer screening and we know that only a few percent even of those people uh are screened Uh, So there's great need to get information out about lung cancer screening, both for people that are exposed to occupational carcinogens and for people that are at high risk because they smoked a lot. Mm, I see.
2: And one thing you didn't talk about uh, in the pros and cons is the cost. Do you think cost is an issue here when we're talking about occupational
1: screening?
3: Yeah, well, you know, in the uh, lung cancer screening trial and people who had that level of risk of, of lung cancer, uh, the cost per quality adjusted life year added from screening was about $81,000 uh, per quality adjusted life year added. And, and that's actually a relatively favorable cost for, screen, for screening. So if by analogy, uh, the same benefits occur in people who have sufficiently high risk from occupational uh, uh, carcinogens, it would be favorable. Uh, yes, there is cost, uh, but lung cancer is a terrible disease and we need to do everything we can to you know, help minimize
2: its impact. Okay, so we need to bring the word out there that lung cancer screening is available for workers at high risk of lung cancer. But I ask Stephen Markowitz how many people could be concerned by this and have we started to do that can we assess the number of people uh that would be uh that would need to receive this type of lung cancer screening because primarily of their uh, occupational exposure whether combined with smoking or not how many people does this represent in the United States
1: You know, probably 10 to 20 million is a good estimate. And I say that because, for instance, let's just look at asbestos. Back in 1994, OSHA changed the permissible exposure level for asbestos. So they did an analysis of how many people were exposed to asbestos. Now, coincidentally, that was 25 years ago. But because of the known latency of asbestos and lung cancer, that's exactly what we want to know is how many people were exposed to asbestos 25 years ago that would give them an increased lung cancer risk now. And when OSHA made that estimate, it said that about two to six million workers were expo- still exposed to asbestos in the early 1990s. That would be the group that should be screened now with low-dose CT. So now that's just asbestos. If we look at, say, silica, OSHA also has estimates of how many people were exposed to silica. And it was at least 2 million people. So from those two occupational lung carcinogens alone, you're talking about 4 to 8 million people. So I would say when you look at, when you add the other uh, lung carcinogens in the workplace, the ones I mentioned before, it's probably 10 to 20 million workers who were, had a significant exposure to occupational lung carcinogens, which in combination with their age and smoking, should undergo low-dose CT scan.
2: So are we moving in this direction?
1: I would say not really. Um, I don't see a whole lot of evidence about that. Uh, for instance, I don't see any public health campaigns addressed to blue-collar workers on uh, early lung cancer detection. I don't see any activity really coming from the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health or the American Cancer Society or the Lung Cancer Alliance, or certainly within the employer community, or frankly, even much action at the present from labor unions. Now, I would have to—I would say that our program we put on with the United Steelworkers, so that was a union-based program, and at least some of the construction trade unions are also beginning low-dose CT scanning. But in general, the population that needs this is not being attended to, and it's a public health gap. The worker in Paducah, Kentucky, who uh, is driving his car to work or otherwise, who does not run across any public ads, who is not related to a healthcare worker, who is not plugged into the same sources of information that people of other classes are plugged into and therefore will not learn about lung cancer screening, whose primary care doctor doesn't know about this technique and won't raise it with them. That person will not learn about lung cancer screening and will not raise it with their physician. Their physician normally doesn't talk to them about the work that they did. And so the issue of can I be screened for lung cancer early and have that disease detected early never even comes to mind.
2: Public health professionals need to team up with local politicians and trade unions to communicate and convince. I also asked Fred as a participant in the workers' Health Health Protection Program to tell me what he thought it would take to get more workers involved in screening programs today.
0: When this program first started, um, they had big meetings. I went to every meeting. Our Governor Vonovich was there, Mike DeWine, the Lieutenant Governor, our federal senators were there and stuff, and we're going to fast track everything and get you to, you know, everything, and they, they, there was 20 diseases that they recognized, you know, they won't pay for the screening to find the diseases. Mm-hmm. You have to find that on your own. Okay, so if you're out here and, and you've left there and you don't have any insurance or something, how are you going to find that disease?
2: So let's say there was a f- funding for another program. You know, how, you know, it, it seems like they found you. Yeah. They had to find you and they had to convince you that it was, was worth, do- but, worth doing but, it.
0: But that's Queen's College and Dr. Mervis and the workers' health program doing that. That's not Goodyear Atomic or Department of Energy.
2: I understand. But what did they do to convince you? Because you could have said also, I don't believe in this, I don't go. Why, why? How did they convince you?
0: Because I like the knowledge of going to every meeting and find out what's going on. And you're right. Other people say, I don't believe none of them. I'm not doing nothing.
2: So how can we convince these people that it's worth doing?
0: Uh, well... I would say that when they would go to the meetings or have more meetings, is have more direct answers, and and say, we'll help you in this way, this way, and this way, and uh, I I really don't know. So, I,
2: I, more union meetings?
0: Well, it don't have to be union meetings. This has to be meetings uh, like the workers' health program would put on a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, the um,
2: so it's important to have to bring everybody together. It is and explain. Yeah, and communicate. And communicate. Yeah,
0: yeah. you have to communicate.
2: Having interviewed Fred Carpenter, Stephen Markowitz, and David Weisman. I feel that lung cancer screening in industrial settings provide a classic example of the importance in public health of translating research to policy and clinical practice. It is not enough to do the research and to make scientific strides in techniques for early cancer detection to render the knowledge accessible to those who need it. Additional steps are necessary to allow the public reap the benefits of new knowledge, which may include mobilizing sometimes entire communities. Markowitz and his colleagues did that in Paducah, Kentucky, Portsmouth, Miamisburg and Hamilton, Ohio, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, Las Vegas, Nevada, and Idaho Fall, Idaho. In this podcast, Fred Carpenter, who worked in Portsmouth, attested that they did it the right way. I'm grateful to all my interviewees for their time and willingness to share their ideas. I also thank Emily D'Agostino for assisting me with the production of the podcast. Thank you also to Michael Costanza for comments and edits on an earlier version of the podcast. Francis Jacob composed the bluegrass theme and the voice was that of Kofo the Wonderman, a master drummer from Nigeria. This is Alfredo Morabia at AJPH. For more podcasts, including podcasts in Chinese and Spanish, visit us at ajph.org or subscribe to the podcast on your iPhone app, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or on Stitcher. That's it. Thank you for listening.